A quick disclaimer, opinions of host and guest do not represent the views or opinions of functional movement systems. Always consult your physician before beginning any exercise program. This general information is not intended to replace your healthcare professional. Welcome to the Movement Podcast. This show is all about movement. We tackle it from different angles, bring on guests, answer questions, go on a few tangents, and give practical advice, giving you guys a better idea of how you can optimize the human body to be the best it can be. Let's preview what's coming up in this episode. We use a movement screen to understand problems you may have in your fundamental movement. But once you get the basics down, what comes next? Today, we discuss where to focus your efforts for those who have been cleared for takeoff. We break down where individuals can go from here and the tools we recommend to help optimize your physical performance. So all systems go for this episode of the Movement Podcast, powered by FMS. So based off the episode, Gray, we actually uh, took off and had a little clear for takeoff uh, the other day on our jet skis. Uh, you came over to the house, and uh, for for those of you guys out there, I just I just got a jet ski, um, and Gray's had a jet ski for probably 15 years, and he thought he was going to be cool and cruise over, and you know him and I were out there in the jet skis, and he took off, and I'm sitting there thinking, um, he took off, I guess he wants to race. So I just cruised by him, gave him a little wave, and uh, really cleared myself for takeoff on that. He passed me like I was standing still. Yeah, and that's about right. Yeah, it's 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 like a big brother gets up to bat, and little brother comes up and puts one in the second deck. It's just not not feeling good. But anyway, yeah, Lee has a very high performance jet ski, and then he's got a slightly higher performance than that jet ski that he was supposed to put on safety mode for his 14-year-old son and never got around to programming it. So his 14-year-old son was the first to inform him what the top speed of the jet ski was, and it's in excess of 75 miles an hour. Yeah, my wife and I were uh, saying, yeah, we're going to put this on learner mode so he can only go up to 40 miles an hour. And uh, we, we dropped it in the water, and before I could... Reading the manual before I could figure out how to put it on learner mode, he had already gone out and come back in. So, man, this thing goes fast. So, I'm pretty sure that uh, no more learner mode. I'm pretty sure that Miss Cook and I will be uh, fighting over me getting a new and faster jet ski pretty soon. But that that really does set us off right because on paper, my jet ski is 120 horsepower, and on paper, Lee's jet ski is 200 horsepower. It has absolutely nothing to do with reality because Lee's like, take it out. And it's not even the same vehicle. And it's nothing wrong with my jet It's all ski. about the driver. No, it's not. Actually, it's absolutely not. It's all I about the just as good on that jet ski as you, and I went just as fast as <laughs> but, but I guess what I'm saying is, in 15 years of evolution, there's nothing wrong with my jet ski. It's running perfectly, and it hasn't failed. But they're doing significantly more with 200 horsepower than they did 15 years ago, 120 horsepower. So that took me to a point, uh, I am about our, us talking about the fundamental capacity screen. What comes after the FMS? Because an FMS doesn't mean you're cleared for takeoff. It means I don't see anything wrong with you in the garage. <laughs> we haven't even taken you a lap right, around right. the track. But, but before but, you drop a jet ski in the water, you got to make sure it's got the oil. Let's make sure everything's running right. Let's make sure all the hoses are hooked up. Let's make sure the electrical system is right. Then we can go see how fast it exactly. runs. Exactly. So, so to me, FMS has never been cleared for takeoff. It's almost like cleared for hard-ass testing. <laughs> yeah. The FMS says you're not going to get hurt testing, and the FCS says, do you have any holes in your general physical capacity well, before one, we load well, skill? The, I mean, Gray, I'm going to interrupt you again, because one of the problems that you and I have battled over when, when the FCS was first brought up was even the term capacity. And fundamental capacity screening, that's what we're doing. And really, when you say capacity, nobody really knows what that means. I know, and, and, and I obsess over terms. I've caught so much flack about the SFMA and the movement screen and stuff like that. But this is the way I, I have to organize things in my mind because I do see unnecessary liberties being taken with words. I have literally been at strength conditioning conferences and asked for a two-sentence definition of strength. And if I'm talking to a guy who trains cross-country runners, and if I'm talking to a power lifter, and if I'm talking to a kettlebell box owner, and I'm talking to Pavel, 
it doesn't even sound like we're talking about the same damn word. And it doesn't mean these people are bad. It means we haven't really valued the way we express our energy. And I started thinking about that deeply saying, we really have four fundamental expressions of human energy. And just like before we developed the movement screen, we didn't go to sports and we didn't talk to biomechanists. We went back to the neurodevelopmental progression and said, if you can't cover these postures and patterns, how will you assemble them at speed, at torque, at rotation, at velocity and deceleration? If you can't lunge slow at body weight, how are you going to cut and stop on a dime? And that, what you're describing is capacity. You know, once yeah. you get the fundamentals down, now you, in your words, now you got to lay on top of that. Exactly. And so this is something that Vern Gambetta said a while ago. If a kid can't jump, standing long jump, the length their body is tall, it's probably not a good time to start plyometrics. Very elegant statement in that, why don't you let that kid skip and jump rope? But the minute they can jump out of their shadow, so to speak, let's start doing some jump training. But prior to that, they haven't even demonstrated their tendons and joints are strong enough to handle often. Well is jumping your body height often is let's get some box jumps in here. So when you talk about capacity, you're talking about expressing your energy in four different ways that occur, when we say fundamental, that occur naturally. So when you say jumping, you're talking about power. So power is one. What are the other three? Well, it's really unique. If you watch the way a kid goes through their developmental progression, they develop movement control of their limbs before they develop organization of their spine. The spine is still somewhat supported by the ground when they're using the arms, legs, and head to flop themselves forward, flop themselves back, and do things like that. And even when they come up in all fours, you would have to admit the hips and shoulders are doing more work than the back because that little belly is just hanging there, right? So we use our independent limb competence, the four quadrants, if you will, of the Y-balance test. All right. Or or the the hips have to be a match set and the shoulders have to be a match set. They have to have good range of motion and they have to be complementary. And it's these reciprocal things that start throwing what? Twists into the core. Because the first way your baby will roll is called a log roll. That's just let's take the barrel left, let's take the barrel right. And then all of a sudden you see the kid disassociate. Pelvis stays back upper carriage goes left or they throw the leg across the pelvis goes that way and the upper back stays down they are basically developing gait right now they're they're getting that rotation that happens in running and walking they don't have to use it much in in quadruped but as they start coming up but that's what they're doing that's movement control in quadruped the spine is still not what we would look at right. stacked up so what will be the next you know, if we're talking about these um, stacking on top, what's the next one? I basically call it postural integrity, postural integrity under control, but it's our ability to carry things, okay? And that's really just can you organize your spine in all the different positions. So when I say posture, I'm not saying are you erect or not, okay? When I say posture, I'm saying is your spine doing what it's supposed to? When I say pattern, I usually say are your limbs doing what they're supposed to? Because reciprocal pattern is what you see in a FMS lunge or something, okay? So I want to see that your limbs are working good because if one limb is not working good, you will disorganize your spine to help out the limb. So get your limbs organized well. And really, when we say that for adults, we're like, don't have a hole in your YBT, don't have a hole in your motor control screen. So if I want to vet your fundamental balance, motor control, timing, and coordination off each of your limbs. I'm going to do an upper and lower body motor control screen at minimum, YBT, if you've had a problem in the past. Now we come over to the one thing that's been part of strength culture forever, and that's carries. Okay, The Turkish get-ups of carry, many yoga postures held for a few minutes do the exact same thing as a carry. We're just using body weight instead of an external weight. But we use a farmer's carry uh, to demonstrate postural integrity under control because we know if you don't have postural organization long enough to walk with a certain weight a certain distance, posture is probably going to be a bigger stability indicator than you, than weakness. Meaning you may still be a good bench presser, but if you can't carry, it's no good having arms and chest this strong because your spine can't handle 
if you were to take this weight and do something with it other than lay on your back. So I want to know your limbs are right and your spine is organized, especially in important and functional postures, vertical speaking, okay? Now I want to see if you got power. But we test your power with no obligation to store energy, meaning when you jump, we just want you to jump as far as you can and watch you land. We'll ask you to do it a couple of different ways just to see do you have the energy expression of power. It would be stupid to assume you did if we knew you had a leg problem or a spine problem or an arm problem or a back problem. So we get movement control, postural control out of the way, and then we say, do you have explosive control? That means, do you have power? Can you explode off your legs? You could look at the FCS and say, why don't you do an upper body test? Don't need it. Because every sport uses upper body power in a different way, but they all get leg generation power pretty much the same way. So it's if we're doing a general base, just like the movement screen for capacity, we're going to look at movement control, postural control, explosive control. And the only thing that's left is impact control. And that is the elegance of running. This is a runner who actually knows how to store energy and transfer it to the other leg, as opposed to somebody who just bangs around poking holes in the ground like I do. And so now we we have four quadrants of energy expression. Can you control your movement patterns? Can you control your spine even with loads? Can you control your own power? And then can you recycle that power? And a great way to memorize it is not memorize anything I said. Run, jump, carry, and climb. Express what most babies can do by three years old. And just like their neurodevelopmental progression and their perfect little movement screen, they're showing us the different energies that make up the activities we love. If I go to rock climbing, there's a lot more slow strength power and balance there. If I go to uh, uh, soccer or football, there's way more energy storing and power involved. If I go to mixed martial arts, there's a little bit of all of it and you better not have a hole anywhere. But the neat thing is now that we have these general capacities laid out, I can go to any sport and say the best marathoners don't have any less power than this and any less posture in this and any less movement asymmetry than this. And so don't try to build the perfect athlete. Just say don't have any holes in their general capacity and now go for specific. So... All right. So guys, we're, we're talking about cleared for takeoff, right? So someone has been screened, you know, hypothetically, maybe this person has mostly twos, but has, you know, had to be improving their ankle clearing, working on something. They've gotten to that point. They have a green light. They can move on. What, what exactly comes next? Yeah, it's a great question. We've got that over the years. And if we go, if we go back to, I mean, great, we take it back to us in the kitchen on the little clinic where we started the movement screen Gray came in and drew up a pyramid on the on the whiteboard, and it was the bottom of that pyramid, the foundation was movement. And that's basically mobility, stability, flexibility, the standards, the fundamentals. On top of movement was performance. On top of performance was skill. Very simple. Even to this day, that's how I describe it to a general person, a parent, or a coach when I try to describe why the movement screen is so important. It goes back to that pyramid. Because we're not saying skills are not important. We're not saying performance is not important. We are saying the foundation, we have to start with movement so we can layer on top performance. So performance has always been a very important part, and that's what you're asking. Mm -hmm. What is next? Well, next, we need to start performance. And most people assume that just means we're going to go work out. Well, in our philosophy grade, it still goes back to finding out what you need to focus on the most. Where's, where's your focus need to be? In our pyramid, that simple pyramid, that pyramid, if you look great, people that, that are, are close to us have, cre- have taken that pyramid and tried to add all kinds of stuff to it. Yeah. And you don't really need to. Um, if we're talking about movement, now, you could talk about nutrition, you could talk about sleep, everything kind of has something. You could almost take a pyramid and put it into any one of those little areas, right? If we're talking about movement, we're talking about strength training. Performance is the next level once you've cleared the fundamentals so just like a car, once that, you know, before I push the gas and put it, on the, put it on the racetrack, let's make sure it's got the brakes. Let's make sure it's got all air in the tires. Let's make sure the alignment is right. That's movement. But now we got to say, okay, are the cylinders firing correctly? Or do we need to put a better intake in the yeah. manifold? I mean, now we need to add power, right? right. And that's where this, this idea about looking at capacity comes into play. Well, and, and, and that's where when I drew that pyramid, if I had to 
walk back in that kitchen at 55 and draw it again, it'd still be a three-rung pyramid because I think people do need to make it super simple before we get dive deep. But that middle rung that we call performance time, I could easily call that physical capacity because what I'm saying is function is your blueprint looks good. Nothing seems broken in the garage. There's no oil leaking on the floors and like that. When we go into capacity, I need to know I can run all your circuits right up to a red line and you don't blow up. Or you're putting out the horsepower I thought you were. Aiming that horsepower at Baja or NASCAR, that's a completely different thing. And most people in the in the mid-90s assumed function, skipped general physical preparation, and went right into the thing. Okay. And the thing could be football, baseball, basketball, gymnastics. It was anything. But there was an assumption that all humans that weren't overweight were at least functional. And then a secondary assumption that if I play enough baseball, I'll get all the baseball strength I need. And so when we draw that pyramid, what I'm actually saying is I'm not telling you what to do because most people in the mid 90s say, I said, I'm working out functionally. And I'm like, I don't deny you think you are, but if. If you tell me you've been on a weight loss program for five years and you've been putting on weight, then I will have to disagree with you, logically speaking. What is our baseline for function? If we've got a baseline for gaining weight or losing weight, what is our baseline for function? And when I look behind the curtain, nobody knew. And so we went in the kitchen and said, okay, let's separate function from just general physical capacity and let's separate capacity from skill because the strongest quarterback doesn't get win the Super Bowl. The fastest quarterback doesn't win the Super Bowl. The guy who figured out how to survive a season probably gets to win the Super Bowl. So skill has a different matter of things. But what I noticed is a lot of people up at skill were having to deal with poor rehabilitation, not good functional conditioning, and a very myopic perspective is I got a kid who wants to get faster and all they're doing is back squatting and deadlifting. And there's nothing wrong with that. Or they just go out and try to do form running. Exactly. So if we would separate the problems we have, what I realized or what I felt deep in my heart as a physical therapist at the time was we got way more functional problems going up into the gym and going out onto the field. Well, even even back then, Gray, we you know when we when when we started tinkering around with the movement screen, we knew there still needed a certain layer of performance testing, and most of the performance testing was still the traditional vertical jump. Bench press, how much can you bench? How much can you squat? And if you think about it, that was the three ways people measure performance. It is. And even today, that's primarily what they do. So when you talk capacity, it's not necessarily saying those tests are wrong. It's not even, we're not even testing those things, but we're kind of going back a step and making it just looking at fundamental ways to express. I I see what you're saying. And and, and that's one of the reasons that I've always said to myself, and then I say to rest, don't practice tests. Because what happens when you go into your high school weight room and you have a very weak squat? You just get to squat more. That's right. But if you've got a bad ankle or you've got scoliosis or you've got a hernia you don't know about, you're still squatting more. So if you show weakness at a capacity test, you're just going to get more strength. And that's almost like saying if a kid swells up and they eat peanut butter, let's just give them more peanut butter. I mean, (laughs) they're going to die. And so I realized that the human being was changing and changed a lot between my grandfather's generation and my generation. And it doesn't mean that, that we're eroding. We can't assume that we're the physical specimens that were three or four generations in front of us. And, and we have a lot more opportunity and we're bigger and we're well-nourished, but you know, the standard amount of pull-ups in the military has been going down consistently every decade. And so that means we're bigger and weaker at the same time. Well, and the one thing that we've been saying from day one is that we're looking at, if we go back to that pyramid, we're looking at, can you meet a minimum level of competency at the movement foundation, fundamental level, FMS, our movement screen, minimum, which Ashley started by saying, that's twos with no pain, no, no, and we're not saying how great, just where are you and do you meet the minimum based off of all the information we have? And we're doing the same thing with capacity. Do you meet the minimum level of capacity as a human, mm-hmm. first and foremost? Yes. Because if you're a division one defensive back and you're, you know, superlatives can be off the charts, 
but maybe you can't jump off one leg as well as you can on the other. Maybe your carry screen is not well as it should be based off the average or, excuse me, minimum level of humans. Well, that's a problem. Right. Because we have enough data now that says your carry, you should be able to carry 75% of your body weight for 90 seconds mm-hmm. as a human. Now, people are going to say, well, that's a lot. Well, based off the data we have, that's just what they, that's what we have seen to be but, but what we consider minimum. Most humans on the planet have to do more physical labor than the people who are listening to the podcast or the two people, three people talking on it. But actually, let me take you back to the mentoring point of this. You got a client. You got pretty good twos on the FMS. Now, you either inherited that client and fixed them because they were dysfunctional or somebody allowed them to be, or they've been your client for three years, but you just now took the movement screen course. You basically assessed your own client and were blown away that they had two asymmetries and four ones within their movement screen. Now, I don't know whether you were cleaning up the program that you designed or you were cleaning up the things that you inherited but weren't aware of as precisely as you became aware of them with the movement screen. But this is a this is a crossroads for professional development. I would say there's just as many fitness packages and programs causing functional movement problems as there are people who haven't managed their movement well, haven't managed their rehab well, haven't managed their lifestyle well. So there is an equal thing of very poor organisms (laughs) and very poor fitness environments coming together. And I think that's why we see injury risk and exercise going up. Exercise is supposed to be the good for you part of movement. Competition, labor, warfare, that's the bad part of movement. That's what we got to do to survive. This is what we're doing to thrive, and yet we got people doing stupid stuff and exercise getting hurt. So the very first question I ask people who get through the correctives is I said, you've got to be willing to reprogram them either from their crappy program that put them in the hole or you got to ask yourself, oh my God, we were focused too much on X. Well, if we can break your capacities down into four simple things, then you're going to have a deficit in one direction. And they're either, like Lee said, they're going to be below the human gender and age equivalent that they should be. That's a capacity you need to fill up. Because, you know, we were thinking the World Health Organization, I think, has a metabolic expenditure of most people on this planet are walking in excess of three miles a day. Not here they ain't, okay? Not here they ain't. And if we're, if on average we're walking two miles a day, that's because we got a small percentage of us that are running marathons every day, not because the average person is on their feet. Yeah, average, just because, average is not necessarily normal, or what oh, we no, want to no, be normal. No, no, That's the no. big difference. And I think when, when people look at our philosophies, we're looking at minimums. What's the minimum amount? We're not, again, you know, I know I just said it, but that's a very important factor that people kind of gloss over. If you can't even do the basics, how do we, should we expect and, you to create great outcomes on the programming? Because at the end of the day, most of the people that listen to this podcast are trying to go out and design programs for their clients or rehab programs for their patients. Man, some of you guys want to design programs for yourself. Well, ultimately, when you're designing a program, part of the your real objective, and people don't get this, I don't think, enough, the objective is to figure out what is the one thing that I can do for this client or myself that's going to give the biggest impact. What's the one thing, Ray, that, I, that you could say, tell me, here's what, Lee, you need to do to help you out the most? You know what that requires? Testing. It does. Screening at, at all three of those levels I just mentioned. Get the movement level done. Get the performance level done. Then check, okay, I want to play some golf. Check my golf swing. And, but don't and, check my golf swing. Expect that to be good if I don't have good hip rotation or if I don't have the basic capacity that golfers need. So Ashley hands me a, a somewhat cleaned up movement screen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask that body four questions, okay? Does the motor control and coordination of your limbs force you to compensate by not being enough? Does your spine organization force you to compensate by being enough? And if neither of those things are a problem, then can you organize your power and can you organize your energy storing? That's it. That is, those are the four questions that I need to ask. I'm not saying more information wouldn't help. I'm saying less information 
would leave me nearly as stupid as not having any of it. Because whatever information I get, I'm going to attack that. So I either got to represent the full spectrum of the way humans express their energy or just decide we're only working on power and I'm going to stick my head in the sand on everything else and it's going to happen. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And those four quadrants, Gray, the one thing you know that now we're out teaching it and we're talking about the FCS, those four quadrants, we're not just doing four tests. We're not doing one test to check this, one tech, you know, they're not four tests. What I think is so really, and I'll use the word, brilliant about the FCS is how we break those quadrants down. So with movement, you're looking at how the, the four limbs work independently. Right. But I think the one that people can wrap their hands around the most is how we break down power. Yes. And, and well, and, and you make a good point because the way you express your power is usually best encapsulated in a jump, meaning most people with good power jump better than average. They just do. And I don't care whether they're a golfer or a basketball player. Greg Rose will tell you, guys on the PGA Tour that hit the ball further have a better vertical leap or standing long jump than guys that don't. So they know how to get more horsepower to their X than somebody else. That's that's all that is. But the reason I love those four clean quadrants, just like the reason we tried to use the pyramid, it makes you think clean. I get asked so often a strength question when stability hasn't been vetted. Now, I hope everybody hears what I'm saying. You don't even have basic motor control of your limb and posture. You're asking me a strength question. You can develop a great bench press with a pretty shitty stable shoulder. So people would ask me a strength question thinking, well, if I just get stronger, I can assume that better stability occurred. Yeah, too. but there's a point that that stability, that instability is going to come back to haunt you. Because I think that's all too often what happens is somebody will be working on their bench press, bench press, bench press with a, with a crappy shoulder and they plateau. And then that's when they ask the question. They don't ask the question when their numbers are getting better. Right. They ask the question when they plateau and then the question, they don't like the response. The response is, stop benching, clean your shoulder up. Yeah. Then they go to another strength coach and ask that same question. What's wrong with my bench press? Well, we need to stop. We need to go and add a little bit less weight or change your reps and sets. No. Clean your shoulder up, create some stability, and your numbers will go up automatically. One of, one of my favorite quotes, and I have to say it to myself, is a problem well put is half solved. And if you answer a stupid question, it's more stupid on the answer than is a question. Just keep saying, reframe the question, you know, because too many people will ask, is this going to be my solution? I, I think I need to do more of this. What do you think? Don't let's not start there. What's the problem. And what I found out is no matter what I ask you verbally, if you're into fitness, into sport, into your body in any way, you've already decided what you want me to say. And I can't help you that way. All right. That every kindergartner wants a teacher just to say more recess, but that ain't going to get you to first but grade. Here, but here, here's a problem. I know we, we're kind of getting off track here, but I think this is a problem with this profession in general is that because, and again, this is my opinion, so take it for what it's worth, because a client walks in the door and is now paying you, I think too often the assumption is in this profession is that I have to give them what they want, not what they need. What makes you think, it, by doing all this, what makes you think you're not going to give them what they want in a more complete and sustainable way? It's like, here, thank you for giving me your macro goal. I'm glad you got that. I'm going to give you four micro goals that are going to get us there. But, and if you don't understand it, let me explain to you. But the professionals, and we, we as professions, professionals, have to be confident that we can accomplish that, that we can do that. I can give you your, you know, abs and your, your, your definition in your arms, but we have to start here. We have to also be confident in our abilities to give them that but or give them, hey, this is actually what we need to do. We're going to accomplish that outcome you're looking for, that macro goal, as you put it. But in order to get there, there's some steps along the way that we've got to get, we got to work through. So when I lean my head into the fast food drive through window, I don't want to be told what to get. I know the exact thing I want to get when I go through the Bojangles drive through But when I pay big money to sit in a nice restaurant with a beautiful view, I want the waiter to come up, and I want them to be polite, and I want them to ask about gluten and dairy allergies, and I want me to tell, 
tell them specials. And I want them to ask us at the table what we like, but then I want to hear their suggestions. So when people are truly paying for a fitness professional, if you're not prepared to ask, is there any, is there going to be any problem here, which is a movement screen, right? And if you're not prepared to assemble opportunities for them to get exactly what they want, but there's an education process. I don't want education at fast food. Everything they know I need is right on the thing. And I just got to say number four. But when I am paying extra money to have an elegant experience, I want the input. So don't ever assume that somebody will not appreciate the input if you do it right. And what's the first thing that a great host or, or waiter says? Do we have any food allergies or preferences here at the table? Right? They're, they're getting rid of the, the don'ts and the time bombs. And then now let me tell you the opportunities we got within those confines. And it's a simple thing, but look at the difference in the quality experience I just set up. One is jamming a biscuit down my throat while I'm sitting in a car, and the other is a great three hours I'll probably remember the rest of my life. And one thing that, you know, one of our instructors, uh, you know, that we've known for years, Gray, Frank Dolan, going back to talking about the FCS. When we introduced the FCS and he took it and, you know, we will tell people, hey, do an FMS first, then do an FCS on top of that. Because again, movement, our pyramid, movement, performance. Well, Frank was like, all right, I've got to run a business. And he, he trains kids, mm-hmm. primarily youth. Yep. Those kids walk in, the parents walking in, hey, my son's got to, you know, he's not as strong as he needs to be. He needs to be hitting better and he needs more power. Yep. Right? Because he's a baseball player, they need more power, need to hit a home run. That's the mentality. Frank's looking at this and, okay, I can't start with a movement screen because the parents are going to be like, what in the hell is he doing? I, this kid's here for power. But he starts with the FCS. And again, the interesting thing is he starts with the FD, FCS and uncovers some power leakage. Beautiful. Maybe Beautiful. One, one leg is not as powerful as the other. Now the parents are leaning in. Oh, wow, that makes sense. His right leg is not as strong as his left leg. We need to work on his left leg power. Well, Frank says, well, we need to figure out why he's losing that power. Ta-da. And then he does, he does a movement screen. <laughs> so what the one thing that in going through that process, so now the movement screen uncovers, well, maybe he has a left ankle restriction. His left ankle mobility is not where it needs to be. He finds that out. And lo and behold, going back to what I said earlier, now what's going to help this kid develop power the best? Working on his left leg power or working on his left ankle mobility. Working on his left ankle mobility is going to give him a better foundation to work on power. Now, that whole process, Frank found the Frank Frank found the problem, right? But to me, if I'm sitting back watching that as a parent, yes. How much awareness, how much how much am I now leaning in saying, "Holy shit, Frank Dolan knows what he's doing." Yeah, cuz you know what? That parent came up to Frank like a drive-through window. Here's what I need. And Frank's like Let's do a few things. And, and I'm glad you said that because I remember you reporting back to me on how Frank was handling the FCS. And you started becoming a fan of the FCS, not because I was a cha- championing this. You like I'm never a fan of things you say. You're like, hey, I'm you never a fan of things you say until I see it actually work. You're like, you know, somebody else can actually drive this car around the track and not blow it up. So Maybe great, it you know that work. FCS thing, it actually works. But but I want everybody listening to this podcast, because you wouldn't be listening to this if you weren't an early adopter, but I'm sure you have found yourself frustrated trying to explain some of the nuances that we talk about on this podcast to somebody who may be a peer in almost every aspect aspect of the profession other than what we're doing here. And you've wanted to get them to lean in. Don't lead with the FMS. Lead with the FCS. Say, guys, just consume the fundamental capacity screen course and realize that if you don't have people testing well on all four of these quadrants, you either have to design different program for these quadrants or figure out what's leaking out of one of these. And that's where you're going to find two-thirds of the problems on the FCS can be seen in the FMS as well. And it doesn't mean you can't work on them both at the same time. So the great thing about Frank is we know that guy's a soldier. No kids are going to get trained under his watch without a screen, but he didn't have to lead with it. He didn't have to lead with it. He met them where they were. You want to talk about power, Dad? Let's see if your kid's got enough power. No, you're absolutely right. He doesn't. You want to know why? Because I can't tell from here, but I can tell from over there. Let's go down this rabbit hole. And so that, that is the elegance of doing it. So, you know, a lot of people can just look at a movement screen and say, yep, this is information I need. And a lot of people can't because you don't have a golf club or a tennis racket in your hand. So go to FCS, find those quadrants. And here's my elegant argument I've had with every specialized strength coach. 
I can always agree that for your particular athlete, we would need more information than just this. But please don't argue for denying this information. This is the general base that we work on in the off season so you can tune that car for the environment they're heading to. And every season's different. It's a different schedule. It's a different climate. It's, you know, so, so this is the off season strategy. Don't have holes in your FCS. There is no competitive advantage for having a hole in the FCS. Now I'm going to switch it up here, Greg, because I think another, another big, maybe misconception is the wrong word, but I'm going to use it anyway, is that the FCS is only for athletes. It's only Heck for no. people, people who are younger, people who are doing a lot of stuff. And we, we got to lose that misconception. And I'm not talking about just the FCS. I'm not talking about taking our course. It's the fact that older individuals, maybe people who aren't as active as we would want them, they still need power. And you know what? They I still would, need to carry stuff. They do. And what I would say is if you had to draw a line in the FCS, when we start looking at power, if you're dealing with somebody who doesn't have a lot more power in their life, don't worry about it. But I tell you what, you haven't finished your functional journey when you get to the FM, get through the FMS. You finished it when you've passed a balance screen for your upper and lower body, and you've shown me you can carry something because these are things you're going to be doing at 80. You're going to need your balance, and you're going to want to pick up one of those little ones. All right. So if I got if if I got you 80 halfway through your FCS. You're more functional than 90% of the world at 80. I don't care if you can jump or not. I don't know. I, 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 I would disagree with that a little bit. I still would like to see them jump. Now, again, I'm not going to just take it. Again, we're talking about people that at that age, I'd still take to a movement screen. I'm, I'm they, not going to disagree with you because if you're going to swing a golf club, that's power. So why wouldn't you? Just set the baseline. So if we know, we've said it already, and I know our data now says you need to be able to jump 110% of your body height. I don't expect a 65 or 70-year-old to do that. But set the baseline. Whatever that baseline is, that's your power baseline. Let's just see what it's let's see what it looks like a month from now, yeah. two months from now. If there's a seventy year old out there running a marathon, there's no re- no way they're not getting a full FCS. Yeah, so don't judge it by the age. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. But I do think if you're envisioning the eighty year old you just worked with doing this, no, no. I caught them on the leg race. Don't worry about it. They ain't going to see. They're not going to see any test that is going to be unsafe or not give me actionable information. There are sometimes we do tests that give us observational information. So Lee and I will test power on a kid that's 10 weeks away from seeing any power activity. But guess what? Their power could be normal by the time we get there just by fixing their balance, their squat, and their push-up. So, so don't think that we're going to take an older person into a power activity when they don't have balance and they don't have postural control because those are the two filters we put in front of that friggin' test. So if, if, if a power test is unsafe for your client, there's no reason to do it. But if your client is actually into power activities when you're not there, why wouldn't you test it if you're their advisor? <laughs> so. As a thank you for supporting the podcast, FMS is offering an exclusive discount of 30% off our Fundamental Capacity Screen online course. So if you're FMS certified, this deal's for you. And if you're not FMS certified, Go get certified, and this deal's for you. In this course, you'll learn how to get your clients and athletes on the most efficient path to optimal performance. We cover the four key components of fitness, how to test these components, and strategies for correcting and conditioning. You'll receive over two hours of video instruction, the FCS manual, and after you pass the exam, you'll access a free year of FMS Pro membership, including the FMS Pro app. Please note that the FMS Level 1 certification is a prerequisite to the FCS certification. To receive 30% off your FCS course today, use promo code FCSPOD30 at checkout. That's FCSPOD30 at checkout. For more details, follow the link in the description of this episode and get started on your course today. Now let's get back to the podcast. Let's pivot and go to the practicality of the actual FCS test. What what are those pieces of information that you're getting going through the actual test? You you know you talked about power leakage, how that's coming through. What does that test look like to where you're gaining that information? And you know, what does that information look like? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I think that's you know now that Gray and I've been teaching this course a little while, I think it can be overwhelming. People people look at our FMS results and get overwhelmed. People look at the FCS results and get overwhelmed. As I said before, there are actually 15 different tests. There's four quadrants, 15 tests, mm-hmm. so 15 potential results. And it's not as a, you're not looking at 15 different pieces of data trying to figure out what to do. 
you're only looking at one that's bad. You're trying to figure out which one of these 15 pieces of information that is below where it needs to be, that's where the focus should be. So we look at, you know, in the in the movement control, you're looking at basically four tests, upper body right, upper body left, lower body right, lower body left, and you're looking at those areas. That's movement control. Posture control, Gray said, you're looking at a carry test. So basically, how long can you carry and how much, how much distance can you cover, right? We can't have somebody running the running around, so we have to combine both. And that this the one that the, the two areas that I think are the most, you know, elegant, for lack of a better word, is the power and explosive control. Because power, and I'm going to turn it over and let Gray speak to this a little bit. The movement control is it is what it is. You're basically how well can you balance on your upper body, right sides, left sides, bottom legs as well. Carry test, same thing. Carrying heavy object, how long, how far. But power, people assume we're only going to look at how far you can jump, which is one part of it. But then we break it down and look at your, we take the upper body out of it. And we look at how well you can jump with your upper body on your hips. And great to me, that, and then look at your right side and left side, really gives you some cool information. And that's where we don't need an upper body power test because by letting you swing your arms in a standing long jump, number one, why didn't you pick the vertical leap? Well, we've got 100 years of data on standing long jump. We don't have 100 years of data on vertical leap. We go all the way back to West Point, you know. So, and, and secondly, the natural expression of the first jump you ever did was more horizontal than vertical. It's just, you got to be jumping at a goal. So believe it or not, vertical leaping has a a little bit more of a skill component. It's not nearly as primal as a, as a standing long jump, but everybody uses their arms to either an unbelievably efficient way or an inefficient way. So we see people that jump without swinging their arms at all. They're like a bunny rabbit. They just do it all with their legs. And then some people really throw those arms. And we've done things to get people to use their arms more, just like have them hold those little heavy hands or hold some some like one pound small weights. And it's unbelievable what happens to their jump. And all we're doing is showing you that whatever you do in your arms connected well through your core benefits your legs but hold, and vice power. versa. That's, that's power. That's, how, that's really, it's basically your ability to coordinate and allow that energy to transfer from top to bottom and bottom to top. Exactly. So now imagine what we're setting up. If you jump just as far with your arms as you do without your arms, how much is your upper body contributing to a power move? Because your arms are about a 20% contribution done well. Okay. So whatever your legs can do, your arms ought to be adding to that, not taking away from it. We've got people say, no, use your arms more, and they jump worse. Well, this is disorganization. Mm-hmm. Is it really tennis racket day, or is it <laughs> skipping, jumping, bear crawl day? Because we can sync all this up so your first day with the racket or your first match with the racket goes a lot better. Now, when once we vetted the upper body contribution, we want to know if each of these legs is contributing equally or you're jumping 60-40. Because the, the thing is, Gray, I could jump 120% of my body height, which we would say, wow, that's above normal. But then we take the arms out of it and it goes down to 100%. That's a whole lot worse than what it should be. Yes. yes. And I think that's the point. So even if you do jump well, we still need to dissect it a little bit more. Now think about this, Ashley. If you've passed the motor control screens, we've either gone intense and done Y-balance test on your upper and lower body or just given you a simple reach with each leg and each arm. It's a pistol and plank Mm -hmm. with a digital measure. uh, And your carry's good. Then there's no reason for your power to suck. Your movement screen is adequate. Your single limb motor control, balance, competence, coordination, and timing is good enough for posture and ambulation. But the minute you jump, how is this not a software problem, right? Now, sure, the more you jump, the better your bone density, the thicker your tendons. So you're going to have a set effect of your tissues once you start training jumping. But I usually get people to jump significantly better in a single session if I'm not having to work around a balance problem or a posture problem. So the neat thing is, oh my gosh, what a beautiful day it is when the first problem I find in you is power. Because that's you just not knowing how to do it. And we've literally shown people how to breathe differently and how to preset differently and change their standing long jump by, by like 10% in a single session. So when we don't find the aggregate of problems robbing from your power, your power is just a quick tune-up and, and a few, few exercises to tune your power. Same thing with energy storing, which is every power test we do, 
Even if we jump you off one foot, we encourage you to land on both feet because I'm not really concerned about what you do after you jump right now. Just like I want to dissect mobility and and stability, I want to dissect your explosion to the fact of can you recycle. What if I ask you to do three That's impact control. Make sure. So now you're segueing into impact control. So we got power situated, explosive control. Now you're talking about impact control. How well can you reproduce that? Right. So if I had a hole in your power, I'd stop right there and work on it. But if I, if you didn't even have a hole in your power, I'd go to impact control. Imagine the person who says, do three long jumps in a row. And one person did three equal jumps. They land, they gather themselves, they jump again, they land, they gather themselves, they jump again. They did three independent jumps. They didn't stack them. Okay. Whereas you get the natural person who could do a layup the first time they saw one or can do a cartwheel or something, they will jump, hit the ground, and they won't be there long because if they're there a fraction of a second longer, all that opportunity is lost in their ability to recycle it. Their second jump will be a percentage over their first jump. And their third jump will be a percentage over there. And the reason jump. for that, Greg, that's that's pl- that's the essence of plyometrics. Yes, that's the essence of plyometrics. Plyometrics powers power, right? You, you're going to load your body up. You're going to explode out of it. But what you're describing there, that second jump should be longer or further because you're using that, you know, extensibility of the muscle. You're using that spring, that rubber band that isn't is plyometrics. Yeah, and, and I did that in, in my biomechanics class uh, over at the university. Um, had, a, had a kid jump and try to touch the ceiling tiles in the classroom. He couldn't get it. I said, stand up on the desk. I'll balance it for you. Jump off, hit the ground. Don't be there long. It's The floor's red hot. He went right through the ceiling tile, knocked it out of place. And I'm like, same guy, same muscle, but by letting you drop off a box, I gave you what you were doing plus something. And it was you, because there's a lot of people that drop off a box and don't jump any higher, which means you didn't know how to use the downhill to pick up speed, right? right. So the expectation is to be, to be greater on that second jump. Exactly. That's what the, the pass-fail is, in essence. And if you, if you don't pass the power, then you wouldn't then move on to impact? Is that what I'm I already gathering? found your hole, so... Right. Well, we would you, do the test. we do the okay. test. But here's what we, here's what we find. When, when you have a balance problem, and we went ahead and tested your power and energy storing, usually by the time we fixed your balance, power and energy storing fixed itself. If there's still a problem, they fix so much quicker because we already fixed balance. There's still a power problem. But most of the time, if we go upstream, upstream starts with the, the leg raise and the movement screen, and it ends with single leg energy storing. But if we keep going upstream, getting rid of the dysfunction, just get rid of the ones. I didn't say perfection. Get rid of the failures. Downstream always gets better. And most people want to just focus where the downstream problem is. And Lee and I built a career for 15 years looking at athletes that a lot of other people had been looking at. And we had two or three days to say, no, here's the bottleneck. And all FMS ever allowed us to do, when I say, I'm not saying the movement screen, I'm saying functional movement systems thinking this way. Lee and I scaled the problem. We identified all the same problems they did, but we put the dominoes in order to where when we started pushing on the worst one, the others weren't nearly the problem that we thought. So most of the systems that we competed against were in silos in the, in the old days. So everybody on the job would find a problem they'd want to work on. Then they'd sit around a boardroom and argue for how many minutes each of them got on the problem. I'm like, if this guy ain't sleeping and if he's dehydrated, nothing you're saying is going to change because his brain, you know, is not going to uptake the information. So if, if, if we're, Working on a machine, there is a scaled assembly. If we're developing a human, there's a scaled assembly. And it doesn't mean that power is not important. It means we're going to get this guy. It's a tortoise in the hair. Most people want to start, you know. uh, It's a short-term solution. It's a a short-term solution. It is. And if you look at, uh, let's be honest, to get your health right, I'll do a lot. Ashley, if you're hypertensive. I don't want you to have a heart attack. So you're going on hypertensive medication. Did you hear me say forever? 
You're going on hypertensive medication till you and I can work out some behavior modification because you're causing your own hypertension. So I'm not going to withhold the medication because it might keep you from having a stroke in the next six months. But if you're not walking more and leaner and drinking more water and sleeping better in six months, I don't want to be your doctor, get somebody else to keep you on the medication because that's what we've done. We have taken short-term solutions like ankle tape and hypertensive medication. And instead of getting you through the episode that keeps you safe and getting worse, it has become your crutch. And by the time you get to 50 now, you're dependent on six things that people got to sell you. How many people show up at a race, a 5K, with God knows how much tape on their body? Yeah. They should just quit selling running clothes and just say, tape up everything you don't want people to see and take off running. I think at the end of the day, like as, as a trainer and a coach, I, I really see the FCS now, especially after this conversation, you know, you have that client that comes in who's, you know, doesn't have any asymmetries. There, there are twos, maybe some threes in theirs, um, but pro- predominantly twos. And they, you want to be able to feed them more. You want to be able to program for them as best as possible to keep that retention. Because the number one thing for all coaches and trainers, especially, is to keep their clients. And so if it's not about abs, whatever their macro goals are, you want to be able to feed them what they truly need to continue performing. And so for me, you know, the FCS is about performance, but you take that client who may be, all right, you got twos and threes, like, good job. You know, let's go on programming. Let's see what else we can do for you. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're able to take it to this other, uh, this other level and test them a little bit further and be able to feed them more. And then again, keep that client for longer retention. I'll, I'll tell you something that happened to me. We, we built better correctives after the FMS started teaching us. We set up this thing, bounced our opinions off of it. It sent us facts back mm-hmm. <laughs> and all those other opinions washed away. I have developed better programs and exercises since the FCS because now I'm looking at that primal gauge. If your primal power goes up, I know I can aim that at the skill power that you want in your thing that you do. If your postural integrity under control, if your carry goes up, I know I can use that for your thing. Um, so it's, it's, it's just really neat to, to have that confidence because it, it's not giving us answers. It's giving us permission to find the right answer a little bit better each day for, for this particular client. And the, the whole point of the FCS is if you get that right and stay on programs that keep that right, you can keep movement screening, but you're never going to have to do correctives again, because that's the whole point of a program it should not make you fit and dysfunctional. It should make you fitter and maintain your function because your function represents your adaptability and your fitness adapts how you're dealing with your environment right now and how much buffer you got. And one last thing, if we took the FCS to the CrossFit Games and we did those tests two or three days before the Games, nobody would have a deficiency, but the only problem we'd see, just like we see when we take the FCS to professional athletics, asymmetries. The only thing that's going to get you at that level is a huge left-right asymmetry. So even though you will be better than the cut on both sides, a big left-right difference is that last little bit of polish we do on world-class athletes because that's the only part of their body they're not aware of. And so it, it, we have insight at the tip of the spear, but we also got insight for 72-year-old wellness programs. Yeah, but even, even at that analogy, you take it to the CrossFit Games because we've seen this too. And I think that's the direction we're trying. If we look, you know, Gray, if, if you and I look at five years from now, what we're trying to do is say, okay, we know what the human right now metrics are. We know what the minimum, let's take carries. We know what the minimum carry distance and time should be. What the CrossFit Games, it may be more than what the human is, but now you're, compared to your, you're comparing yourself to your peers. Exactly. So if I go to those CrossFit Games and I test all the CrossFit athletes that are getting ready to compete, the, guy, the individuals that are in that bottom third, 
I'd like to see how well they they perform because there is going to be a bottom third. There is, and, and, and that's that, where we that's learn about the where you want to be. Right. Whatever environment you want to be in, don't be in the bottom third of YBT scores of the other people in that environment. That makes so much sense because you could say the same thing about um, uh, sleep, hydration, uh, breathing, right. awareness. You could say the same. Don't be in the bottom third and expect to be as successful as the top third. And so if we were to do FMS and FCS prior to the CrossFit Games, just watch it, and the 10 people, in the people in the top 10 every year will not be people with superlatives on the test. They just won't have any glaring failures that's anywhere. Right. That's that's what, when Lee and I go into teams and see the durable performers, the people that are never a problem or rarely a problem, they do have injuries, but they rehab better. They, they have, they don't have as much sports psychology problem. They basically run a less toxic lifestyle than everybody else and know exactly why they're doing it, but they just don't fail at anything. It's not that they have superhuman anything, but when you put together all those non-failures, they spell success. Whereas most people think, you know, if I get a little bit better on the bench press, that might cover up my leg deficiency. No, girls still know you got skinny legs, dude. You know, you well, can wear the loose pants. They still know you got skinny legs. So balance it out. Work on your, don't have a weakness. But when you say durable performer, don't assume that's the best player. Because mm-hmm. the best player, the LeBron James, the guys that get the, the big contracts, aren't the guys that are going to take you to the, the world championship every year. It's all these other durable performers that... It's the guys who come off the bench. It's the They're guys the who village you build around your, your marquee player. Right. So you got the marquee. You got the you got the three percent, whether whatever population group that is. Those are just the freaks. It takes a village to have a Tom Brady. Right. It, ta- it takes a lot of people to get Tom Brady on the field, but it takes a fraction of those people to assemble an offensive line that can block. But Tom Brady needs blocking too. So, so there there are role players, and and what we're seeing is the guys who have a a NFL career. They might not have many highlight reels, but they actually have a body left at ten years. They exit with better movement screens. They had a better movement screen all the way through. They handled their injuries seriously. They confronted their weakness. They were coached the whole time. And they, they had a life and a body when they got out. And there were some guys that just exploited every buffer they had. They competed with dysfunction. And some people let them. And some people told them. And, you know, it is what it is. But now we actually have a lot more evidence than we did that if you feel great and your balance is getting worse – other things are going to be way worse in a couple of years. If you feel great and you're losing movement patterns, other things are going to be worse in a few years. They just are. Do you think this data is more impactful and easier to digest when you're looking at similar positions or the same type of athlete? You know, you you talk about an entire team, you have multiple different positions. Well, this person doesn't have to have this amount of power or this amount you know, does that make sense? No, no, so I, I think... You take it, about, take it yes. apart and you, you put it into different silos and you look at them individually, then the information becomes that much more important. FCS can give you general fitness for age and gender, but once you get enough people in a specific thing doing it, just look at who are in the top third and what do they look like on, this, on these gauges compared to people in the bottom third. And if you can't see a difference, then this doesn't matter. But I think you're going to see a difference. <laughs> But in order to, in order to, but it's going to be in non-failure, not in success. Yeah, the one thing, one thing, Ashley and Gray mentioned it, and I'll be, I'll put a shine a light on. It takes a lot of data to be able to do that. If I've got, you know, if I'm, if I've got five athletes and I test all five athletes, I can't expect, you know, it to tell me much. So one of the, one of the things, and I say, well, five years from now we should be able to say that. That's we just got to get the data. Mm-hmm. But the, to your point. You are correct. We would not expect a receiver to have the same, you know, um, FCS scores as a lineman, mm-hmm. right? But but there are things that they both should be able to do at a minimum level. And see, that's where when we laid out all our minimums, we had a huge general fitness and light duty athlete population come through. We had military, we had fire service, we had trainers, we had coaches, everybody come through. So my whole point is 75% body weight, 90 second carry. We've had NFL players that couldn't do that. So there's no argument for how you can be in the NFL and be physically less 
than an average fit person. So there's no argument there. We don't know how good your carry is supposed to be, but we know exactly how bad it's not supposed to be. And that's what people just need to understand. Don't have ones on the FMS and don't fail your fundamental capacities and you will adapt in the ways you want prefer more often and, and probably with less episodes, unfortunate episodes. You got to know these things because we've come off 30 years of getting worse as physical humans and getting more opportunities to compensate. I mean, that's, that's literally what exercise devices and classes are, is I got to find a class that suits my movement patterns instead of I got to find a class that kindly confronts my weakness. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's, let's grow up, guys. <laughs> working out with your mom ain't the same as working out with a uh, boot camp drill instructor. One of them's going to push you, and one of them's going to give you a piece of cake every time you skin your knee. Mm-hmm. So. Well, uh, I think that's it for today's podcast. Uh, if you'd like more information on the FCS, then you can visit our website, functionalmovement.com. That'll do it for this episode of The Movement Podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe and review. If you want to learn more about our system and take the next step in your movement journey, visit us at movementpod.com. Until next time, be sure to first move well, then move often.